Well, church, it's good to be back with you this week. Uh, I always hate when I'm not here. Uh, I love being with this body of believers. I love uh, preaching, and I know John loves preaching too, so I know he was grateful for the opportunity, well, as he leaves the room, uh, for the opportunity to uh, preach last week. And I got to see it online, and I'm going to tell you, he did a phenomenal, phenomenal job uh, taking the Word of God out of 1 Corinthians 3 and, and beginning this chapter that we're going to be dealing with today. So, uh, church, take time to, to thank uh, these staff and these folks that love you and serve you. Uh, in so many ways, and I am grateful uh, to, to be with them day in and day out. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to be looking this morning, beginning, I'm going to go back and pick up verse 10 again today, uh, this morning. John spoke to it and began a little bit of it last week, and I'm going to come back and bring all this uh, together, this whole chapter where God is talking to us uh, about the foundation uh, of, of ministry for us, the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ. When we think about it, there is a lot of struggle that goes on, not just in that day, but in this day. When we start to think about the fact that, that where do we really give honor, praise, and glory uh, for the great things that are happening uh, in our midst, in churches, in ministry, in things that are happening around the world. And the Apostle Paul is making the case that all of us ought to always be making that there is only one who's worthy of glory. There's only one who's worthy of praise. There's only one who we gather together to give thanks for the great things that are happening in our lives and in a ministry like Hepzibah, in a ministry uh, like the missionaries are doing around the world, in any ministry that is happening, it's God that deserves the honor and the glory. Uh, back then, it's the same as it was today or that it is today, is that sometimes there's a struggle. Uh, Paul, as you remember when we started this book, he said, listen, there are people that are fighting in this church. There's disunity in this church because some of you are saying, you know, I want to follow Peter. I want to follow Paul. I want to follow Apollos. And, and, and there's factions and there's divisions. And he begins to make the case that, you know, why in the world are you fighting? All that it's doing, this is what John talked about last week, is it's showing your immaturity. It's showing the fact that you don't realize that, you know what, it's not us that are doing a work. It's God in us, God through us that a work is being accomplished, and that's the beauty of the body of Christ. That's the beauty when you even look at a church like Hepzibah. Uh, Hepzibah is unique in that it's 213 years old. I appreciated your prayer that, you know what, that there, I hope that the legacy and the life of this church, that it continues on well after we're gone, because you know what the reality is? It's not and never has been about us. It's about Jesus. He builds his church, and he asks us to come alongside and to work to build the church as well. It should be an honor. It should be a, a huge responsibility that we take seriously, that we are co-laborers with Jesus Christ. I, I've been trying to convince this church for 25 years. I hope that we've done it. Bill has been doing it. I've been doing it. That you know what? That all of us in this room are ministers of the gospel. That all of us are working to build a church, the body of believers, both local, both around the world, that God has given us a call to make disciples, that ministry in a church, it's more than its programs, isn't it? It's more than, than projects. It's more than, than the, the things that many times we spend our time doing, that when we think about building the church of Jesus Christ, it's really about building people. I want you to think about what you think of when I say, what is a pastor? I was doing a funeral one time, and I was kind of thrown off because I walked into the funeral home. I'd never been there. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. 
And I walked in, and I didn't know who to even really go to, but their guys had name tags on. So I walked up to the first one that I saw, and before I could say anything to him, I was there to do it. In fact, it was Massey's up in Zebulun. I just somehow had never done one there. And when I walked in, the guy looked at me before I could say anything, and I went to put my hand out and introduce. He goes, oh, you're the preacher. And I thought to myself, what am I, like chubby or something? What does that mean? I'm the preacher. Is he stereotyping me? Are all preachers like fried chicken and, you know, desserts from uh, potlucks? I mean, I didn't know what it meant. And then I started, I mean, it was kind of silly, really, because I couldn't get that out of my head. I'm supposed to be sitting there doing a funeral thinking about this woman that we're going to lay to rest. And all I can think about is, is it because I have a suit on? Then I'm like, no, everybody else has a suit on. Uh, is it because I have a, no, everybody, there's a lot of nice black suits in here. And I mean, for 20 minutes, I struggled with why in the world did this guy come up to me and say, you must be the preacher. Is it my hair? Is it the part in my hair? And literally about 20 minutes later, he gets back with inside of me again. And I said to him, you know what? I just got to ask. It's driving me crazy. How in the world did you know I was a pastor? He said, you're the only person here holding a Bible. Oh, okay. So I just wasted 20 minutes of my life. All of us have a concept of a preacher, right? Who they are and, and what it is that they should be doing. I hope that you realize that when you think about a pastor, when you think about a minister of the gospel, I hope even when you think about yourselves, that you know what you ought to really think about? You ought to think of like Bob the Builder. You know what I mean? The guy who is going to come along and has the little tool belt and all the tools necessary to complete the task that God has given. And I want you to know that it's not just me. That it's all of you. That somewhere 213 years ago, a foundation was laid. And let me tell you what the foundation was. Exactly what we're going to talk about today. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Someone had a heart for the community of Wendell. Someone knew that there was a crossroads in Wendell and people were starting to grow tobacco and obviously the community was flourishing and growing and that there wasn't a church and there needed to be a church. And so they took the gospel of Jesus Christ and they laid a foundation. 213 years later, guess what? We've been called to this place at this moment in time, and we are still building on the foundation that was laid. Amen. Folks, as we talk about this today, I want us, first and foremost, to realize that it is a great honor to be co-laborers with Christ. There's no greater calling that you have on your life. There's nothing else that you will do that will matter as much as what you do as a co-laborer with Jesus Christ in the work that he's doing to grow his church. Here, in our state, in our country, around the world, what are we doing to walk beside Jesus Christ who invited us to the same call that he had, to seek and save those that are lost? That he was the one who said of us that, you know what? You need to go and you need to make disciples. That's what Jesus did. He was a disciple maker above everything else that he did. He was committed to making disciples. You have a man like Paul whose life has been given to make disciples. Now, did he need to make a living? Yes, he, he made tents. But I want you to know that he didn't see that as the end all for his life. Just making money, having a place to live, having toys, having things, having friends, having fame. That wasn't the purpose of Paul's life. Everything in his life was shaped around the idea that everything that I'm doing is to give me more and more of an opportunity to be part of what God is doing in my generation, in my life, to take this foundation and to build upon it. And that's where John left us last week. 
Now, we are co-laborers with God. We have a big responsibility to be faithful stewards with what has been handed to us. Folks, when we look at our lives, I can tell you this. I see people and I look in myself and I know that activity isn't a problem. We are busy people, right? We have calendars and those calendars are full. Most of us, if I were to ask in this room how much white space you got on your calendar, you're going to say, I don't really have any white space left on my calendar because we fill our calendars and we fill our days with activities. In many days, our lives were almost confused because we are so busy day after day carrying out our plans, carrying out our projects. And in the midst of this, I want you to think for a second that you're not the only one working. God is working. Are you working alongside with God? Or are you doing your own thing? Are you seriously committed to the task that God has given to us to go into the world and make disciples? In the midst of all this, the Lord is also at work. And what we should be doing is joining Him. He's building His church. He's extending His kingdom of grace and love. He's moving history to its God-honoring end. And he invites us to be part. And that's why Paul says, listen, you've got this all wrong. You're thinking it's about me. It's about Jesus. You're thinking it's about Apollos. It's about Jesus. Listen, we're going to come. We're going to go. Some of us are, are planting seed, John said last week, and others of us are watering the seed. And each component of that is very important. But at the end of the day, he said, none of us have room to boast. Don't look at us. All we do is plant and water. But you know what we can't do? We can't make it grow. Who does that? God does that. And that's why Jesus said, listen, I will build my church. Ultimately, it's Jesus who says, I will build my church. But the blessing of him saying that, hey, I want you to come along with me and co-labor with me. And I want you to take this foundation I've given you and I want you to build on it. That's what we're going to talk about today. So beginning in verse, or chapter 3, verse 10, let me read to you the text that we're going to look at today. And in verse 10 he says, According to the grace of God, which has been given to me, he was saying up in verse 9, we're, we're fellow workers, we're, we're, we're in God's field, but he says we're also God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold and silver or precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is going to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality, not the quantity, the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he'll receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved yet as through fire. Do you not know that you are a temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Let no man deceive himself. 
If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. And the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God, for it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. So let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you. Boy, underline that. For all things belong to you, whether it's Paul, whether Apollo, Cephas, the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. Wow. Let's start number one. With we must be very careful how we build. You see, the work that we are joining and doing, it's God's work. It's God's church, as we're going to talk about a little deeper in the second point. The importance of the work that we're doing. But he begins by saying, because the work is important, you must be careful how it is that you build. And look at how he starts in verse 10. It's why I wanted to back up and grab it. Because he said, if you're going to do something for the kingdom of God, understand that you rely on God's grace to do it. Do you know what that means? That means that you need Jesus today as much as you've ever needed him. Just as Paul would say, you know what? I don't have the right words. You know what? Sometimes I get nervous. Sometimes as I speak, I don't come to you in eloquent speech. I'm just coming and I'm just preaching Christ crucified. Paul is trying to tell you the secret to ministry that it's not whether you're good enough. It's not whether you have enough of this or that or whether you have this gift or that gift. You know what he's trying to tell each and every one of us? That if you want to be successful in ministry, rely on the grace of God. The grace of God is his unmerited favor. The grace of God means that, you know what, even though you don't deserve certain things in life, he blesses you with them anyways because he is gracious and he is kind and he is loving. It means that we come before God and we can honestly say, God, I am weak. God, I don't know how to do this. God, I am terrified. God, you're asking me to do something that is way outside of my comfort zone. And God looks at you and he says, you know what? I'm glad that you're at the point that you feel weak because when you are weak, he says, that's when I can be what? That's when I can be strong. Do you know how many times... I wish that we would just slow down and remember that we are nothing and God is everything. That we would remember that, you know what? God doesn't need me. He chooses to use me. I don't really have a whole lot to offer to him, but he has everything to offer to me. And all that he's ever asked of me is, you know what? I want you to believe. I want you to trust I want you to hear my voice, and when you hear my word, I just want you to say yes. I want you to be obedient. And when you think, how in the world can I get from where I am to God where you want me to be? How can I do this thing, God, that seems greater, and it seems impossible, and it seems like more than I could possibly do myself? God is just up there going, yes, I know, and I want you to rely on my grace. Why? Because in the end, we got to be real careful about who gets the glory. Paul says, you know what? I came as a master builder. And he said, if I'm a master builder, it's one reason why. Because of God's grace in me. 
It's what he's done, not what I've done. It's who he's made me, not what I've made myself. Paul says, you know what, I came and I, I did one thing. Paul had an amazing ministry that most of, us, most of us will never really have the opportunity to have and to do. He was a guy that went into places where there was no gospel, there was no understanding of Jesus and who he was, and he would be the first one many times to go into those areas, and he would preach Christ and him crucified. He would tell people how it was that they could be saved, and he would begin to teach them the foundational truths about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and out of those truths being preached, people would receive the gospel, and they would be saved. A foundation would be laid, and suddenly a church would begin to grow. But one of the things that was unique about Paul's ministry is most times in Scripture we only find that he stayed anywhere at the max probably three years. Most times it was a year and a half. Most times, honestly, it was going to be less than that because Paul, guess what he would do? He would lay a foundation. Now, folks, the foundation is critical, isn't it? Because not only do we rely on God's grace, but secondly, we've got to make sure that, that we lay the right foundation, Right? And Paul says, I've laid the only foundation that can be laid that will be able to, to really build the church of Jesus Christ, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul would lay that foundation, and he would teach them the word of God, and he would raise up disciples in those places, and then guess what he would do? And that's when men like Apollos would come in behind Paul. And listen, was the church dependent on Paul? Was the church going to survive without Paul? Yes. Every seminary out there will survive without its current president. Every church out there will survive without its current pastor. Every connect group will survive without its current teacher. Why? Because ultimately it's not that we're asking those men to carry the burden of building the church. God is saying, co-labor with me, so for this time and for this season, I will be able to use you to build this kingdom. And the constant is God. The constant is the gospel, the preaching of the word of God. Church, if we're going to have the right foundation as a church, we've got to be a church, number one, that is consistently preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ communicating the whole counsel of God accurately and faithfully. As this church is growing, listen, Paul would walk away and others like Apollos would come and he would command them and he would instruct them on how to build the church on that foundation, what ministry was supposed to look like. I fear that too many of our churches, they don't even know why they exist truly anymore. And they're building things that really aren't on the foundation of Jesus. And what they're building isn't being built the way that God would have them build it. Do you realize that there are churches today that they won't even faithfully preach the Word of God? There are services that you can go in where you will be there week after week and you'll never hear the name Jesus. Bill and I stood with a pastor one day who literally 
He had a picture of the hands of, of Jesus, and there was blood dripping down, and it was in a closet. And Bill said, man, that's a beautiful picture. Why don't you have it up on the wall? The guy literally said, and this is a church local, he said, we don't really talk about the blood because it offends people. If you don't talk about the blood of Jesus, there's not a soul that'll be saved. Uh, you see the f wrong foundation? Uh, do you see where they're more concerned about what man has to say than what God has to say? Than what the truth truly is? And there are churches that, listen, you could go through a whole invitation and they'll never talk about Jesus. And I don't even know what they're inviting them to. Folks, it matters that we have the right foundation. There's a right way and a wrong way to build the church of Jesus Christ. And if we don't have the foundation of the gospel, the building will crumble. The building will collapse because of a faulty foundation. So we've got to preach the whole counsel of God accurately, faithfully. We've got to follow the biblical model of ministry. Not relying on marketing schemes, not relying on the world, not relying on being seeker-friendly, but keeping the focus on the person and work of Jesus Christ and trusting that the gospel of Christ is enough. There are many churches that, at the end of the day, what you would think they want to give their community is a basketball league. There's nothing wrong with basketball leagues and churches if... You're taking the opportunity in the midst of those leagues to really share Jesus Christ. What good does it do to have a basketball league but not have the courage to make disciples and faithfully share Christ and just give them basketball? You're just making people, making children who need to know how to get to heaven and not go to hell. You're just making them better basketball players on their way to hell. If you don't have the courage to share the gospel. Folks, this church can't exist in a sense that, you know what, it's ministers that do the work of the gospel and it's members that come and consume what is given by those who are ministers. Listen, all of you are ministers. All of you have a purpose and a part to play in the life of this body of believers. And if we're going to build on the right foundation, then that foundation is that, you know what, Jesus has saved you, and now he is sending you back into the world. I want you to understand that my job in building this church is not doing all the work of ministry in this church. In fact, what the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 is that my job literally is to equip who? You, the saints, to do what? The, what are you supposed to do? My job is to equip the saints to do the work of the church so that the body of Christ might be what? Built up. Now, I don't want you to lose what I just said there. We got to get out of that backwards thinking that, you know what, there's six guys on staff that are going to do the work of the church so that the body of Christ might be built up. That's what we think. We hire men to come do the work of the church so that we can sit and consume and we can sit and listen and we can sit Listen, you're not here so that you can just sit. You're here so that you can be prepared and be sent. Sent to teach. Sent to share the gospel. Sent to make disciples. 
Any organization in the world can put together a fall festival and serve popcorn and have food trucks and we can decorate our cars. If that's the extent of our contribution to the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we got a problem. Is there anything wrong with having a fall festival? Absolutely not. Unless we believe somehow that, you know what, my part in all of the life of the church is to shake a popcorn thing and pour it out and put it in a bag for somebody. And I ain't saying to somebody, listen, I don't want to see that station not man next time because I like popcorn. But you get what I'm saying? They don't get done with that and then think, you know what, I've fulfilled the Great Commission. Because he says you've got to use the right materials. You've got to rely on God's grace, lay the right foundation, use the right materials. That's why he said, listen, when the building's built, he says you're going to use different types of materials. Some are going to choose to use gold and silver and precious stones. He doesn't mean diamonds and things like that. He's saying that the precious stones are... Think about the temple when they built the temple in Jerusalem. Those rocks, those stones that you had to go and you had to quarry them and you had to mine them and you had to go blast them out, right? And cut them out and, and then you had to shape them and then they had to be hauled with all of that weight, without all of the technology we have today, had to be hauled onto that mountain and then each of those stones carefully placed. He says, or there are people that they may construct with things like wood Hey, stubble, right? Straw. And what he's saying is it matters what material you use to build on this foundation. It matters what we do as a church body with what has been given to us. Listen, we stand here 213 years later, and the question becomes, we cannot relax and say, well, you know what, enough has been done. You know what, enough has been done in the past. You know what, we're not going to build anything. Listen, the thing that I love about this church is 213 years later, we are finally deciding, you know what, we're going to take serious the call to church plant. To have grandkids and great-grandkids and great-great-grandkids so that you know what? It's not only this church because there could come a time where, guess what? This church might cease to exist, but wouldn't it be a beautiful thought? I mean, because let's be honest, right? I have children. I hope I'm going to have grandchildren soon, not too soon, but soon. Because there's going to come a time when what's going to happen to me? I'm going to go away. But my family keeps going, right? Listen, what are you leaving behind? What are you building with? So that when you are done and you stand before God, because he says you got to make sure that you're building with the materials that will last. Because there is a big difference between a home made out of precious stones, gold, silver, or a hut that's been made out of just wood, hay, and stubble. In 1992, I went into Homestead, Florida, because if you remember in 1992, Hurricane Andrew, Category 5, swept into the Gulf of Mexico across southern Florida. And I'm going to tell you something. I, I've never, still to this day, ever seen devastation like that. 
Homestead, Florida was leveled. I'm talking, you could see for seven miles. I mean, you could see to the horizon, nothing but carnage. There wasn't a home standing. But there was one home that was standing. (laughs) Out of all the homes that were destroyed, there was one that was left standing in a neighborhood. Every other home was destroyed. And the newspapers went to that man and said, how in the world did your home stand when everybody else's was completely destroyed? He said, I used the right materials. See, back in that day, everybody, there was an enforcement code for building a home, and then there was a code that was determined that, you know what, if you want to survive a hurricane well, you need to go the extra mile and build to this code. We're not going to make you do it. Now they make you do it. Back then, they didn't make you do it. You know what that guy decided? I live in South Florida. Hurricanes come across here all the time. He was the only guy in that neighborhood. He built the house himself, and he built it exactly to hurricane code. And his house survived. Folks, how are we building? According to God's word or according to philosophy? According to God's word or man's thinking? There are some churches that they care more about what the world says about how we should operate as a church than what God says. And folks, if we want to see ministry that will bear fruit and will last... And in the judgment that we'll be able to stand before God and be rewarded, we've got to make sure that we are building the right way. Because folks, you can't cut corners in ministry. I'm going to be real honest this morning. Post-COVID church, it's getting very difficult. You know why? Because nobody wants to commit to anything anymore. We're getting soft. We're getting lazy. Seems like the devil knew what he was doing well because he gave us back all this free time for two years. And man, nobody wants to give it up. If I hear one more time, you know what, I can't teach because it's just too big of a sacrifice. I think I'm going to yank what little hair I got left out of my head. When did making a sacrifice become a negative? Or something that isn't expected of us as believers in Jesus Christ? What we have done is we have started putting the wrong priorities in the wrong places. It's hurting the church. Not not just our church, the church. Do you know how hard it is to get people on missions now? You know what I'm getting sick of is seeing that every time we do mission trips, the majority of the people that are up here, guess who they are? It's the pastors. Why? If we talk about children's ministry, well, I'd like to teach, but, you know, Terry requires you know, weekly meetings. You know why she does? Because we have one of the best children's departments that I would put hands down anywhere near here. We are discipling children. Your children are benefiting from the hard work that others are putting in. And then we don't have the right to look and say, 
well, you know what? That's not me. I'm not going to give. I'm not going to sacrifice. If you ask me to come every Wednesday, listen, I just want to chill out on Wednesdays. I don't want to have to come to another training. Folks, we're talking about kingdom work. Let me ask you a question. What if our borders never reopened? I just want you to think about it. I'm not going to get into the debate, but I want you to think about it. I'm going to open the debate. Everybody asks me, why did I get a COVID shot? You know why I got a COVID shot? Because I can tell you this, COVID's probably not going to go away. There are countries all over the world that they're never going to let you step foot on that land until you get shots. I want to challenge some of you. Quit politicizing the issue. There is a world that has to be reached. Listen, our missionaries over there, they don't have a choice. They're either going to get the shot or guess what? They're going to leave those people that they love, that they are trying to serve, that they want them to come to Christ. They know there is no one else out there to come and bring the gospel to them. So you know what? They're willing to take a risk, willing to take a chance. Folks, we are living in a world where I don't know how to give you ministry that doesn't cost you something. So how are we going to build? Remember, the work will be inspected. Folks, here is the crux of it all, is that there's going to come a day when Jesus is going to test our life. When I say He's going to test our life, He's using the imagery of something being tested by fire. That means that there are certain things when put to the test of fire, the fire consumes and it's gone. Then there are other things that when you put to test with fire like gold and silver and precious stones, right? These big, huge stones. It says you can put them to fire and guess what? They remain. And he says that for us as a believer, that there's going to come a time when everything that we do is going to be put to the test. One of the most daunting things I ever saw as a pastor that made me think of this verse was the time that we had a, a gentleman who died. And this was when I was in Alabama. And I went with a pastor to go visit this family. And by the time that we had gotten there, after, this was after the funeral, it was about a week and a half, two weeks later, we went to go check on this family. And literally, his family was in the backyard and they had built a pile. Because they had to make decisions about what do we do with all this stuff that he's accumulated? And as I walked up to that pile, what I started recognizing was that, you know what, some of the journals that this guy had written, they were in that pile. Some of the awards for the company that he worked for, that he had labored for, they were in that pile. And see, we want to be offended, but the reality is that's going to happen to all of us too. Your family ain't keeping all your junk. And it looked to me like, here is this man's work. Here is this man's life. 
And they put it in a pile and they struck a match to it. And they burned it up. Don't be offended. You'll take it to the dump. You won't burn it. Or you'll sell it at a garage sale. And all I could think about was this. What in life matters so much and is so eternal that it can't be burned up? Like the relationship that man had with his wife and the legacy as he led her spiritually and helped her be a disciple of Jesus Christ. See, you can't burn that up. He raised those kids and he fired them off like arrows. This was a godly man whose children loved Christ and they were building a legacy of faith. They were active in the body of Christ, serving with all of their hearts. This man poured out spiritual life into his children. And let me tell you something, that was something nobody could burn. And we're going to go before Jesus one day. You see, you may think, well, I, I didn't think I had to stand before Jesus in judgment. No, you don't have to stand before Jesus in judgment for your sin to determine your eternity because that was accomplished for you on the cross of Christ. If you placed your faith in Christ, He has deemed you not guilty, right? He has justified you and He has been sanctifying you. And you're going to stand before Him one day and you're not going to be judged as to whether or not you will inherit eternal life. But you will stand before the Bema seat, the judgment of Christ to give an account for how you lived your life in light of the gospel that was given to you. And I want you to stop for a minute because I'm telling you, I'm not saying that day could come or might come. I'm telling you that day is coming. When everything will be laid out. Remember when, you remember Mary and Martha Lazarus' sisters. You remember when, was it Martha or Mary that came and put the ointment? My brain's slipping. Was it Mary? I think it was, yeah, it was Mary. Thank you. I had a brain lapse. Remember when Mary came to Jesus and she anointed him with that perfume and washed his feet with her tears? And everybody was being critical of her. You remember what Jesus said to her? It was, it's just one of those statements that it just, when you remember it, it just sticks in your heart. They were being critical and Jesus looked and said, she did all that she could. She did all that she could. When we stand before God one day, can he look at us and say, you know what? He did all that he could. He did the most with what he was given. He, he sacrificed all of it because for her, that perfume was what she had. That perfume was the value, the worth that she could bring to Jesus to sacrifice to him as a, 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 a worship of love to him. And I don't know what our sacrifice will be. I don't know what part in the kingdom that we will play. But my fear is that many of us, we are wasting our lives.
and we're not taking serious the gospel of Jesus and the work and ministry of a church like this and the mission that is happening around the world that we are content to work nine to five, go home, sit in front of the TV, go on vacation, accumulate our toys, and we don't realize that we're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to put it to the test. And what are we going to have left? Because look at what he says in these verses. He says in these verses, if any man's work, or I'm, I'm sorry, if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. That may shock some of you. Some of you just think, no, we just go to heaven, it's all the same. No, no, he says that in heaven, at this judgment, there will be reward given to those who co-labored with Jesus and built upon the foundation that was laid wisely, with the right materials, doing the right things, And he says it's going to be put to the test. And some, it's going to remain and there's going to be reward. To those who are faithful over little, he'll make them faithful over much. I don't think that's just on this side of time. I believe it's on that side of eternity as well. That God will reward faithfulness. And he says, but there are others that the fire will be put to their lives. And I want you to think for a second. He says the fire will be put to their lives and at the end of it all, they'll stand before Jesus and they with their own eyes will recognize that you know what? There's nothing. There's nothing. I lived my whole life and none of it mattered for eternity. All of it was for me. All of it was for myself. And I didn't do the one thing that Jesus said I should do. Care about people. Love other people. That I was last and he is first and others are before me. And I give my life for the sake of others. I didn't even live that way. I consumed and I consumed and I consumed. And I never gave. And it says that there will be some that they'll stand before Jesus and it will all be gone. Think about a man whose entire home has just burned down and he stands there and all he has left is what? Just his life. Just, he's standing there and everything else is gone. It's a tragic thing. We've seen it. We've seen homes in this community and homes in this burn down to where the point is that people have nothing left. He says that is exactly how it will be for some people in eternity. They'll be saved. And see, the weird thing about some of us in this room is that for some of us, we go, well, you know what? As long as I'm saved, I'm afraid that you might be completely missing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, at least I'll be saved. And so you let that actually become your goal. Let me remind you, you can't love him and love this world at the same time. You're going to have to choose. And if you love him, you will obey him. And if you don't love him, then you will not obey him. And what a tragedy. That to me is one of the most terrifying things. There's only one thing more terrifying is for me to stand before him and say, Lord, Lord, and he say, I don't know you. That's the most terrifying. But second to that is to stand as a Christian before Christ and watch my entire life burn up realizing I lived it in the wrong way. And I cared about the wrong things. 
and everything that I built was temporal, and now that it's been put to the fire, it's gone. I don't know that in that moment that's when Jesus says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Folks, the final test of men's ministry, a man's ministry, I should say. Listen, even for me, it doesn't matter what you think about me. What difference does it make if all of you applaud? I, I could do ministry the way that you want me to or you ask me to. or you know, There are a lot of pastors that that's how they're going to do ministry. Let the world tell them how to do ministry. Let the lost people tell them what a church should look like. Let people who maybe aren't spiritually mature in their faith tell us what church should look like. And I have to make a choice because I'm either going to decide in my life that I'm going to want to hear your applause or I'm going to have to decide that I want to hear God's applause. Every pastor has to make that choice. Every Christian has to make that choice too because your parents and your grandparents and your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers, they're all going to have an opinion on the way that you should live your life. And you have to make a choice. Am I going to let man determine my success or am I going to choose what God says is success? Because folks, it's not your friends that are going to test your life in the end. It's Jesus. We must be careful how we build. Secondly, we must recognize the importance of the work. I, I just, when you look at verse 16, he says, don't you know? And he's almost saying it like, do you really not understand? Don't you know, he says, that what we are building, that, that what we are is the temple of God. That this work that we do, why is it so important? Because literally the building up of the body is the building of the temple of God. The reason the temple was the temple, it's built like many other temples maybe around the world, but the difference in this temple is this is where the one true living God dwells. And if it was in a tabernacle, then that for all practical purposes was the temple. If it was the temple in Jerusalem, when the Spirit of God fell upon that place, that became the temple, the tabernacle, the place where God's Holy Spirit dwells. And folks, God doesn't live anymore in buildings made with hands. You know why we invest in people, not programs? It's because programs aren't the temple. You are. These buildings aren't the church. You are. I want to ask you a serious question. When's the last time you discipled someone? When's the last time you helped someone grow in their faith? That you stopped and met them in their time of need and prayed for them and became a minister to them? When's the last time that you opened up your home? recognizing that you, well, you and me and four others could open up our homes and we could gather together as the body of Christ, as the temple of Christ, as the bride of Christ. We can gather right there in that moment and the Spirit of God is in us and showing us His grace and we can reach into the hearts and lives of our neighbors. They don't have to come here. We're supposed to go there. Folks, the reason this is so important 
It's because he says, what you're actually building is the temple. And he says, you know what? You're supposed to be holy. You're supposed to be set apart. The reason, I mean, I want you to think about that for a second. We're trying to say, well, why don't I get to live life like everybody else? That was the question the Jews kept asking over and over. And God kept saying to them, you're a holy people. You're a different people. You recognize that this isn't life on this earth. There is a life that is coming. You recognize that, you know what? Jesus is the pearl of great price. Jesus is the treasure that is greater than anything else that we have. And we would gladly sell everything and sacrifice everything to have him because if we don't have him, we have nothing. So think about it. Why is this so important? Because what's being built is the temple of God. He says, literally, you see those points that I put there for you. That when we talk about ministry, we're talking about the place where God's spirit dwells, the temple, the body of Christ, the way in which Jesus will minister to the lost, minister to the hurting, minister to those who are hopeless, minister. When, when the gospel needs to go forth, where is it going to come from? The very body of Christ, which is you and it's me, and we should be building up this body so that it can do what God has planned for it to do. And then he turns around and says, I mean, think about it. Not only is it his body, not only is it the temple, as it shares in the text, but when he talks about you and me, we're talking about his bride. I'm not protective over much in my life, but I am protective over my bride. You want to get sideways with me? That's probably the quickest, most effective way to do it. Because I love my bride. She is the one that I am in covenant with. She's my ride or die, right? She's the one, literally, that till the end of time, it's me, and it's her, and it's Jesus. We serve a jealous God, and he's saying, you know what? You better be sure that you're not doing anything that would harm the body. My bride. My temple. And lastly, he says, we must never lose sight of who deserves all the glory. Be careful how you build. Recognize the importance of the work and never lose sight of who deserves all the glory. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, none but Jesus, the divine Savior, could sustain the weight of a single soul with all of its sin. Much less of all the souls which are built up into the temple of God. Aren't you glad that the greatest work that has to occur is the work that Jesus has accomplished and the work that still continues to be done in the lives of people? Folks, it's Jesus that's carrying that weight. You can't change a heart. That's the soil. That's God's job. But you can scatter seed. You can't change the heart. You can't make that seed grow. But you know what you can do? You can come along beside it, as John said, and you can water it. But that's why Paul would say, it doesn't matter about me. It doesn't matter about Apollos. We just plant seed and, and we just water. But you know what the reality is? 
It's God. It's God. It's God who gives the growth. And so how does he finish this section? He says, so let no one boast where? In men. That's how this whole conversation started. Why are you boasting in men? We didn't build the church. Why are you boasting in men? We're co-laborers with Christ. It's Him in us. It's His grace. It's His Spirit. It's Him setting us apart for this purpose. God's the one who is using us as an instrument, a tool in His hand. So don't worship us. Don't claim me. Claim God. Don't boast in men, but you hear what he says. Stop boasting in men. He says, start boasting in God. And folks, we have every reason to boast in God this morning. I want you just to grasp the fullness of what he says at the end of this section. He says in verse 21, for all things belong to you. Let that sink in. It's the very reason why men like Paul could sacrifice everything to follow Jesus. Why these men would ultimately give up, many of them, their very lives for the sake of the gospel because they knew that there was a greater kingdom. They knew that they already had everything in life because they had Jesus. Because Jesus, listen, it says that literally because they had him, they have it all. And he says, why are you fighting over me or Paul or or Peter or whoever? You know what he said? He said, listen, you have us all. God has blessed this church with me to lay the foundation with Apollos and Peter to come and build on that foundation. And all of you who will come behind them and build on that foundation, every one of us isn't God. All of us are a gift from God. So why are you picking and choosing? It's all yours. He says, life, it's yours. Power over death, it's yours. Folks, if you literally gave even your life for the sake of Christ, which may happen in our lifetime, do you realize that a man can lay down his life because he knows that he can pick it up again? Isn't that what Jesus said? I lay it down because I know I can pick it up again in three days. And listen, because Jesus was able to pick up his life, you know what he says to us? Don't worry about man. All man can do is take your life. I can take your soul, he said. So you worry about me and you recognize that in Christ, guess what? The day that they think they've robbed you of the worst thing they can, all they did was usher you into the presence of the king. And for eternity... Listen, you will live in a place. We're fighting over stuff now, money and gold. We're worried about gas prices. Listen, heaven is going to be so rich that you know what? The streets are made of gold. That pretty much tells you all you need to know. If you're chasing money now, listen, you're chasing something that is, it doesn't even matter in eternity. They make streets out of it. You're not even going to care. Why do you care so much now? There's more to life than things. It's the souls of men. It's the glory of God. And so church, I pray that we will look in our hearts today and we will ask Jesus to shine a light deep into our hearts about how we are building on the foundation that's been laid for us. Folks, you have a right foundation. Folks, this church is laid on the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
the Word of God is going to be preached here. Ministry is going to be based on what the Bible reveals we should be as followers of Jesus Christ. And we're going to build the way He tells us to build. And we are going to keep Jesus central to it all. The question that remains is, are you going to get on board and co-labor with us? Because the test is coming. Father, speak to us today in a way that we can't leave here unchanged. That, Lord, we'll consider the words that you've spoken to us. Lord, we want our lives to count in eternity. Lord, we want to stand before you and know that you gave everything so that we could have life. And it wasn't just for us, Lord. It was for all of humanity, Lord. You desired for people to be saved, that none would be lost. And Lord, you've called us to, to put in priority the things that mattered to you. And so, Father, I just pray that you would show us and teach us that we all can be disciple makers. Lord, it is who you've called us to be. We can't hide behind our personalities. We can't hide behind our gifts. We can't hide behind anything. Lord, you've called us to dive into the lives of people and to share Jesus and to help them grow in their faith and to teach them what your word says so that as the gospel goes out, others will come to Jesus and there we'll see another foundation, another church foundation laid among people who didn't know you and now they know you and now they're going to build on that foundation. And they're going to go and it's going to happen again and again and again. So Father, I, I pray that there's not a soul in this room anymore that will use the excuse, that's not me, that's not for me. It's not what I can do. It's not what, what matters to me. Lord, that we would just come back and say, Jesus, you make clear your calling in my life and I will stop making the excuses. And so, Lord Jesus, we just need you to help us today. We want to spend a moment in your presence responding to your word. So, Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves. What a shame to hear you speak and not respond. So Lord, give us this moment to be honest with you and to ask you to change our hearts and our affections and our priorities. Lord, we want to stand before you and hear those words, well done. Lord, we want, we want to see you high and lifted up. So Jesus, work in us. We need you. And Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, then I pray that today they would ask you to forgive them of their sins. That Lord, today they would recognize how desperately they need you because they're facing hell. They're facing condemnation. Their sins are more than they can bear. But Lord, you bore our sins on the cross. And you died in our place, taking the penalty that we deserved for our many sins. And Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, today, may they surrender their life to you. May they allow you to be Lord of their life, king, master, boss, whatever. Lord, that they understand that they are surrendering to you so that you can live through them with your spirit. And Lord, may you give them the courage to make it known today that I, I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to be part of a church 
I want to be baptized and I'm confessing today that I have prayed and asked Jesus to forgive me and I believe in him and I believe on him for my salvation. Lord Jesus, give them the courage to come out of these seats and to just share with me that they've given their life to Christ. Lord, as we pray, may they come. As we pray, Lord, these altars are open. Speak to us. Help us to respond in Jesus' name. Amen.